Welcome to the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session where we talk about all things guitar related. My name is Dr. T and I am not a licensed therapist, but I play one on a podcast. Today on the Tweed Couch we are counseling on why we own what we own part one. There are many reasons why someone picks the gear they have. Influence, recommendation, budget, necessity, but at the end of the day, the gear that is picked creates your tone. Of course, after a few decades of playing and some transitions in life, you may find yourself a gear hoarder, and what you have created is a timeline of tone. But why did we purchase this gear in the first place? Is there a good story on how we got it? Did we get the sound we were looking for? What happens to the stuff that doesn't get played anymore? Should I sell it off? Do we still have our first guitar? And is the gear you tour with different than the gear you have at home? Well, we will discuss this and more on this group therapy session with Lloyd on the Tweed Couch. Well, Lloyd, it is amazing to have you here once again on the couch and we're going to talk about something that some people either will be like completely bored with or they're going to be like oh i love it i love the (laughs) timeline i love what's happening right now and we're going to talk about why we own what we own because it's been a journey so thank you lloyd for being here on the couch and i noticed that you have another cigar (laughs) i just finished a cigar it was a uh a two-day-old cigar that I just found in the car on the way over, and I clipped <laughs> off the end, and I thought, eh, I'll, I'll just finish it on the couch. It'll be fine. Uh, that's perfect. Yeah. I appreciate that you're mm-hmm. you're doing what you can to make sure that the other people who notice all the cigar smells and stuff, they're okay with you smoking a little bit, but not a ton. I appreciate it. You told me last time that you enjoyed kind of the club scene that I brought to your music room. And I noticed. Yes, I, noticed, I love a fog machine. Yeah, well, no, not a fog machine, like the club machine. You know, the club feel. Oh, oh, okay. you, know, the, you know, which is really the the smoky haze. Unless you're in Minnesota, where they oh, don't yeah. allow uh, smoking in uh, in the clubs anymore. But but that's right. Down in Texas, yeah. they uh, still allow those. Oh yeah, that and peanut shells on the floor. That's another thing that's really important. Mm-hmm. Some sawdust. It yep. just it really helps with the boots being able to move on the dance floor. That's yeah. really the idea. Yep. With our spurs. Yeah. After we we go ahead and hitch up our our horses. So I can go grab another one and light another one up if you want. Uh, you know that that's up to you. I'm going to okay. leave it up to you. All right. Okay, that's yep. fine. So let's go ahead and let's talk about some of the stuff that we're going to go into because. And and this is okay. Public service announcement: I have a lot of gear, but I want everyone to keep in mind that the reason why I have a lot of gear is because I've been collecting over a long period of time, and I don't sell a ton, but I do sell some. And part of the idea is that I essentially have a guitar store in my house, and it's a huge blessing, and I realize that. But at the same time, what's occurred is even my kids love that I have a guitar store in my house. (laughs) Like occasionally we actually play the game guitar store and we actually will look through and we'll like pick up a guitar. We'll play and go, okay, well, why do you like it? Is it kind of a dud? You don't like Hmm. it? Okay, let's go ahead and put it back up. Maybe it's the amp. Let's plug in another amp. And Hmm. 
it's freaking awesome. Okay, <laughs> it's a dream come true mm-hmm. to have your kids love to play guitar mm-hmm. with you. I'm meeting them where they are while they're meeting me where I am. It's amazing. Do you put price tags? On all the instruments, too, while you're at it? Well, I will now. That's brilliant. (laughs) Maybe I should have them negotiate with me. Like, oh, I think this one's only worth, like, four Lego pieces. (laughs) (laughs) Or have it, like, B-sharp music, where there's no price tags, and they're forced to make an offer to you, and then you insult their intelligence when when they make an offer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and you know what? I'm sure B-sharp is going to come up in our future Mm. conversation because I know you've bought gear from there. So mm. I'm going to leave that one just oh, sitting there and we'll unpack that later. Okay. So let's go ahead and let's talk about things. So let's do a little bit of ground rules because I mean, we could just spout off gear and it would be super boring to pretty much everyone. But if we talk about it in a timeline and the timeline, I mean is before you were a professional, when you became a f- professional tourer, when you started doing kind of the part-time thing, getting out of it and then kind of where you're at now. Mm -hmm. So like for me, for example, if I'm talking pre-professional, we're talking about really the time in which I was learning how to play guitar and probably my best gear was my Fender made in Mexico Strat and my crate G 15 amp. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I owned what I owned is because my dad said the greatest guitar was a strat. And my brother said, a crate amp is just fine for you. <laughs> and that's it. Hmm. That's the reason why I owned what I owned. He didn't want you to have better tone than him. Oh, I'll get to that <laughs> another day. But yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> so what about you? What about your pre-professional time? What kind of gear did you have? And why did you own what you owned? So I, I uh, grew up just next to the middle of nowhere. So I thought about, you know, really a lot of my gear was just what did I have access to? And <laughs> that's really, it's it. And so um, my very first uh, acoustic guitar that I cut my teeth on was a Lotus. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I got it for $15. My, my dad had a, uh, a real estate and auction company. This guitar was on an auction. And I bought that guitar. Okay. I'm on that auction. No case. Uh, for fifteen dollars, this acoustic guitar, and I was was uh, this back in the eighteen thirties? Uh, very close. I was fifteen. Okay, at the time. Okay, and oh, and 1820s. so that twenties. That was the guitar that I started playing. <laughs> <laughs> What's interesting about that guitar to me, looking back at it, not only did it not, not have a case, so it always just set up in the the corner of my room, but I never put strings on it when I got it. And I, for the life of me having it, I never changed the strings, ever. I didn't break any <laughs> strings. I never changed the strings. And uh, do you still have this guitar? Well, please tell me you still have I it. I wish I did. In fact, I need to. I need to hunt okay. this down because, um, unbeknownst to me, after I moved on from that guitar, it sat in my room for quite a few years. Unbeknownst to me, my dad would go up and bring it down and. He used to play some chords when I, when he was younger. I'd never heard him play, but apparently he was kind of playing a little bit. And so uh, I was back from when I was touring with uh, that Captain Free Band for uh, like two years. I came back from that, 
and my cousin met me at the house. He was talking about, hey, I'm learning to play guitar, but I don't, I, you know, I've been borrowing a guitar from a friend. I got to buy my own. And I thought I would be a really good cousin and I would give him this guitar that I paid $15 yeah. for that I still had never changed the strings on. And, uh, oh, yeah. And so I gave it to him and he walks down and his mom and dad are all there hanging out with my mom and dad. And dad told me after he left with that guitar that, he was actually playing that guitar sometimes. <laughs> I had no idea. Oh, dang it. And I felt so <laughs> awful. And so, and I'm sure my cousin never really did anything with it. I, it, I, I kind of hope it's still sitting in a closet in his house somewhere so I can find it back. Yeah. Um, one thing I did with that guitar though, because this was back in the eighties, I had the strap on it and you know, it's, it was just, you just had that leather tie that tied by the, uh, by the, uh, the headstock, the headstock up there. And then yeah. the end just clipped over top of the little, you know, thing that and uh and i was watching um uh, a david lee roth video and watching steve Vai spin that guitar around his neck <laughs> and so i stood oh, in my yes. living room with this acoustic and decided that i was going to attempt to spin this guitar without any strap locks <laughs> around my neck and i launched that <laughs> sucker into the wall <laughs> yeah, you did and yep. i and i cracked I cracked the neck on the back of it. Didn't break a string. Oh, my gosh. And it didn't really sound no, any different. Not. It just had a little, little hairline crack on the back of it. Yeah, but still played. But that's the guitar I really cut my teeth on. <laughs> well, pretty soon you're going to have to get a tetanus shot if you ever find it. Because <laughs> that thing is going to be rusty, nasty, terrible. Yeah. Instead of it being like Def Leppard where it's hot, sticky, sweet... It's going to be rusty, nasty, terrible. That's what it's going to be. <laughs> so, you learned how to play Def Leppard on it. Yeah. And now you're going to change that. And I just, and I, I so much want to get that guitar back and hang it in the crib. You know, it belongs. Yeah, you do. That's where you put all the souls of the random things Absolutely. That you find. It belongs hanging in here. So, you know, I, I'm going to do that. I, I've been thinking about it and I just, I'm going to make sure, I'm going to hunt down my cousin and find out that he burned it years ago. You don't have to hunt him. I, I'm pretty sure you could just find him. You don't have to hunt him. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take him like down. You have to creep. I'm going to pull that guitar from his cold, dead fingers. And yeah. Yes. No. <laughs> yep. He didn't have to die for it, but you're going to make sure that happens first. Yeah. I got it. It's interesting. So you say you had a Lotus. Yes. And this acoustic is how you like really made things happen. Yeah. Which I would say, if I were to say, how did I make things happen? My brother had an old. 19 i think it was like an 83 fender bullet guitar which we're not talking about the squire bullet we're talking about the fender bullet which was like an american made guitar but it kind of had like a telly headstock kind of a big neck but of course i was a little kid so everything was a big neck and then it had this weird little shape to it that was like a telly but not a telly and I think, anyway i think i remember I that guitar steal this guitar all the time to learn how to play a little bit mm-hmm. and i bet you you do remember this guitar because he probably still had it at this point yeah no i think i do i think i remember that one and it was a decent guitar it was fine but the reason why i bring that up is yeah i cut my teeth on that but really what i'm saying is i cut my teeth on a Fender American-made guitar. Like, am I really cutting teeth at that point? No. I played a $15 Lotus. No. No. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so let's go ahead and hear what you have to say about your next one. Yeah. Of course, I wanted to play electric. 
And uh, again, yeah. living in right next door to the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. I found a uh, a friend of mine who uh, had a couple guitars for sale. Okay. He had already sold one of them when I got there. So the one he had left was one that I bought. And it was a Les Paul style Ibanez. One of the early, early, and, and I'm guessing it's probably from the 70s. It was all maple, maple okay. body and neck. I don't think it was a maple top. I think it was a solid maple guitar. Okay. I think. It weighed it weighed a ton, Stephen. Of course, I weighed 140 pounds, <laughs> but it weighed a ton. That's what I remember about it. <laughs> You you actually had to have like back surgery when you were twelve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. I paid two hundred and fifty bucks for it. Okay. When I actually traded that guitar in for my first real acoustic, which will I guess and that's another era of my life. I got two hundred and fifty bucks for it again. So I played it all those years. Uh, got that. Oh yeah. But so I got that a guitar, but then I needed an amplifier. So I saw another ad in the paper. And I went, and I've and I've talked about this in a previous podcast. At, if I could go back in time, Stephen, I showed up at this guy's store. He he said he had two fifty watt amplifiers, or two hundred watt amplifiers, whatever they were. One of them was okay. a four twelve Ampeg uh, VT forty. Okay, so it was probably it was oh, probably okay. under, which you know that amp because that's what uh, we played "Smells Like Nirvana" on. Yes, and so people don't know this, but basically because you're a Christian band, one of the things is that at the end, it was a bonus track. Okay, now Mm -hmm. let me take one more step back. Mm -hmm. A bonus track is when (laughs) you get done with the entire CD, and then about a minute and a half after the last song, all of a sudden... A song continues. And this song was something you guys called Smells Like Nirvana. Yeah. And basically it was Smells Like Teen Spirit, mm-hmm. but the words were Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Yeah. So Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby, <laughs> let my people go. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is a Christian, like normal youth gathering yeah. type of song at the time. And you did it. More like just smells like yeah. So so Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let him go. Pharaoh, 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 (laughs) let him go. Oh, it was so good, and it was it was amazing. And I'm actually shocked at how good that tone was, Mm -hmm. only because you played it with that Ampeg. Yeah, I did. And the rat pedal. Yes. Yes. Which and what was the guitar? John had a D'Angelico, I think it was called, the guitar that he got from uh, his youth director in uh, in, uh, in New Jersey. And he had that. He had, oh, it's so good. Yeah, and so I played, I had that and uh, the Fender Strat for a little while, but I played it on that, which so our, our second album, that was the guitar that was most of that album was that D'Angelico. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so hold on. So some assembly required was your first one. The yeah. second one was core. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the core album. Yeah. And that's what has the smells okay. like Nirvana on it. So, okay. I, I don't know how well this is going to work, but maybe we will find out a way to get some of your old stuff either thrown into a podcast or people can just go find it. I don't know. Is there a way to find your old stuff? Yeah, it's all on Spotify, you know, or uh, okay. most streaming services. 
It's on there. So if you, you go to see, Spotify yep. and you look up Echelon, is it Echelon or Echelon Ministries? I don't know. Um, that's a good question. It might be Echelon Ministries because there is a few Echelon. Okay. Look up Echelon. Look up Core. The album is Core, and you will hear this stuff. Yeah. So it, it's, yeah. So um, so I showed up at this guy's house, and in his basement, he had that amplifier, and it looked, you know, it had the, it, you know, this is the 80s. Old stuff wasn't in. You know, it was all flashy pink and greens and, and uh, yeah. you, know, you know, so every... Pointy. Yeah. I yeah. Knew. And so I walk in there and I see this Ampeg amp, which had a black grill cloth and black Tolex on it. And I went, oh, okay, okay, it's old, but it looks more... And right next to it was this old tweed looking thing that said Fender on it. Oh, gross. Mm-hmm. And Gross. so, was yeah. it a couch? Was it a tweed couch? I, I wish. Gross. I wish it were. But <laughs> to this day, I don't know exactly what that old Fender amplifier that I walked away from uh, was. I don't know. All I know is it was. Mm-hmm. I, I seem to. Re- I seem to remember tweed. I don't remember like blonde Tolex. I seem to remember tweed. And yep. I don't know. And it was a combo. No, it was. It was a head in a cab. And the and the cab was pretty large, too. So I, that's part of my confusion. I'm not sure. Okay. I could be Mandela just, effect? Yeah. Maybe you're thinking that it's like, oh, yeah, it was tweed, definitely. But yeah. really, it was like blonde or yeah. it was like black and you just had no... Or maybe it was it brown. Because some of those older ones were brown and yeah. they had that kind of it, weird... It probably was brown. To yeah, it probably was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I walked out with the Ampeg. And of course, since it was a clean amplifier... I needed to have a distortion pedal. So again, yeah, since I did. since I live right next door to the middle of nowhere, I went to the only mm-hmm. music store that was within driving distance and I walked in and I bought the only pedal that was in that store and that was a 1985 rat pedal. Hey, I did a review on one. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and it was the only option in the store. I just picked it up and said, uh, that'll do. And... Uh, Okay, so to help ease your mind a little bit, because you did sell that pedal. Yeah, I did. I will say this. I borrowed the vintage 1985 Rat, and I played it with my Marshall, with the Explorer, and I made a video on it. And just for kicks and giggles, I went ahead and A-beat it between the Burninator which is a build-your-own-clone Mighty Mouse. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But when I A-B'd between the two, my Burninator Mighty Mouse mm-hmm. from Build-your-own-clone sounded identical. No change whatsoever. Yeah. But I was able to tweak every knob and get something very usable on the Burninator, mm. but not on the rat. Yeah, it kind of so, just... yeah. 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 So it was a one trick pony to some extent. And you know what? What you have now, the pedal that I created oh so long mm-hmm. ago, that one, it's nailing it. Yep. Don't worry about it. it man. No. You're and, good. and and when you uh, when you built that for me, that was what I told you, if you remember. I remember playing it and going because I had I played yep. that rat for a long, long time. And yep. um I uh, remember playing the Burninator and going, you know, it it sounds like what I remember the burn or the the rat sounded like the burninator sounded like what I thought yeah. the rat sounded like. So yeah, it's just that I sold it for fifty bucks and it's now worth what six hundred five hundred. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, <laughs> but it's more than that though. 
as I get more nostalgic, I'm like, it's part of my history. Yeah. You know, I did so much with that pedal, including Smells Like Nirvana. I just, I wish I had it. But at the same time, I would like to remind you also, if you kept all things from your history, you would be called a hoarder. <laughs> I would be called Dr. T. Is that what you're saying? Stop that. You know what? <laughs> we'll get to the rest of my list. Don't You know what? We're moving on. We That's all time. I have to say. Do you have anything else to say for your pre-touring time so we can move on? Um, well, just to say about the rat that... It's just, it's really just that one because it's the one that I, again, I cut my teeth on it. Just like I'd like to have the Lotus acoustic. Yeah. It's those two items I would love to have back. But moving on. I am actually fortunate enough that even though I decided to trade my father for. You traded your father? I did. Oh my gosh. No. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. (laughs) That's a different therapy session. Uh, No. I traded my father my first guitar. For a Telecaster. Mm. And when I did that, I was like, do I really want to get rid of my first guitar? Because I modded that guitar a lot. I put Texas Specials in it. I ended up putting different pots in it. I put on a new pick guard. I did a bunch of little modifications. I have a new neck on there. So lots of different things. And I was like, do I do it? And I went ahead and did it. And the fortunate thing is that my dad sells nothing. But I no longer have that Tele. I sold that thing off. Mm. The point of that is, is my dad still has that guitar and he always says, it was always really your guitar. You can have it back whenever you want. And I'm Mm. like, no, dad, it's your guitar. I'll get it later. I Mm. mean, that's just really the way it's been. And it's kind of cool, I think. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Well, we need to take a break for our sponsors. And when we come back, we are going to talk about our professional touring rigs. So. Let's hear a word from our sponsors. If you are looking for a way to help support the Tweed Couch and it costs no money to you, then check out our YouTube channel and become a subscriber. Also, you can tell someone about the podcast and share an episode with them. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support. Here's another sponsor. Are you wanting to join a party with a purpose? If you love music and camping, then come to LifeFest in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I'll see you there. Here's our last sponsor. Since 2003, the Kretzmann Guitar Company has been repairing and building guitars. In 2021, Kretzmann started a production of a solid body electric guitar for anyone student to expert. You can check them out at kretzmannguitars.com. So let's go to our next step of things. And our next step is the full-time touring. And my first touring rig was a 1996 Paul Reed Smith CE22 into a Princeton Chorus amp, which is a solid state Fender amp. That sound was actually really good. And the reason why I got what I got is because, once again, my dad said, well, a Fender amp is the best amp. So that I got that. Hmm. And then... The reason why I got the PRS is because I saw Ross Childress play one with Collective Soul. And I went, Ross Childress, you are an amazing player. He was so tasteful in everything he did because he could shred. But then he would also just play these like lead lines that were just on time. 
and just nailed the timing. And I loved it. And I went, I need that. Mm. I need a PRS in my life. And then at that time, also smooth from Santana, which had Rob Thomas. And I was a big Matchbox 20 fan. Oh, that's Santana. Oh, that's amazing. PRSs are the most amazing instrument ever. And I'm going to date myself here with this. Creed. With arms yeah. wide open. Yeah. You know, you had Creed doing their thing with a PRS. And I was like, yes, I need a PRS in my life. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I got the black PRS. And actually getting that guitar, which we refer to as our guitar. Yes. When we got that guitar, really, I got it. But when we got that guitar, I looked everywhere to find one for under $1,000 used. And you could not find them at that time for that price. Yeah. And I ended up flying to Houston and picking the guitar up and bringing it back. Whoa. I did not know that part. So you might be like, wouldn't it be more expensive to fly to Houston? (laughs) Like... But at the time, this is the year 2000, things are booming pretty well. My dad worked for the airlines. And because he worked for the airlines, in order for me to fly to Houston, which I live in Dallas-Fort Worth area, and then fly back, it was like $20. Crazy. Well, at that time, shipping was more expensive than that. So I went, you know what? I'm going to fly down there. The guy met me at the gate. That shows you how long ago it was, Mm. because nowadays you can't get past security unless you have a ticket. Well, this was before September 11th. So you could actually meet people at the gate when they walked off. Hmm. And then I bought the guitar. It took me about 10 minutes. I closed it up, handed him the cash, walked back up to the gate attendant, and I said, yeah, I want to fly back. And she said... Um, have you accepted any packages from <laughs> any strangers? And I went, nope, I know that guy. <laughs> I do not know that guy. But I said, I knew that guy. And they were like, okay. And I got back on the plane and flew back home. Whoa. Yeah. That's cool. I didn't, I didn't know yeah. all of that. Yeah. And you know, and I've never shared that story, mm. but that was my main thing. And the reason why I needed it was because of collective soul. And because my dad said, you need a Fender amp if you want to sound good. Mm. I went, okay, sounds good. I got it. Gosh. So how about you? What did you start with then in your, I'm starting the full-time touring? Cause I have a few more, but yeah. this is, this is my start. You were much more discerning than I was. And again, mine was a lot of my early gear choices. Actually, a lot of my gear choices were just out of necessity of, I don't have any money. And so oh, sure. I would find something that was a good deal, and I'm like, okay. The My first real acoustic is probably what I, well, yeah, I guess the my electric, I spent some uh, money on that too. But the acoustic, I traded in that Ibanez for. I got 250 bucks for the Ibanez. Yep. And I don't remember. The, the acoustic, it was only like 400 bucks, I think, anyway, the Shenandoah, the Martin Shenandoah. And, uh, oh, yeah. and so I got that fairly cheap. And so I had my acoustic cause I was getting ready to go on the road with, uh, the youth encounter bands called captive free. I needed a better acoustic than my Lotus and mm-hmm. also wanted to have a better electric too. Is it possible that you could have made the Lotus 
better just by changing the strings? Um, it was pretty magical with with the tone that was yeah. coming off of the way it was, and I and I just I didn't want it to get destroyed on the road. That was really the thing. I was afraid. Oh, oh okay. You know, I was I was concerned for it. I thought it would be better off. You know, um, keeping it under glass in my closet where my dad apparently knew where the key was to the yeah. lock. To Were the, the strings door. made out of cat guts? I don't remember. There were so many layers of my skin cells on them. I don't know. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, I got it. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Go on. Go on. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, go that's on. all right. And so I found a 1970 Fender Twin at a music store oh. uh, for a hundred bucks. And uh, okay. a, a friend of mine who was with me, who was older than me by about 10 years at that point, um, he was like, this is a great amp. So I went, okay, it's a hundred bucks. Yeah. I had my Martin. I had the- That's uh, almost a dollar a watt. Yeah. Because those are like 85 watts. I know. And that that I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know anything about that at the time. I had no idea that mm-hmm. I would never be able to turn it on past like a quarter of one. You know, it was like zero to like a yeah. quarter. That was it. And then I would still be getting screamed at, you're too loud. So um, I had that. But I was like, you know what? I am going to spend money on a nice electric guitar. Unfortunately, I chose that Kramer. (laughs) What kind of Kramer is it? (laughs) Well, you got to realize that from growing up as a a little kid looking through the uh, catalog at Christmas time and going... You know, mm-hmm. mom, mom, dad, I want this and this and this and this and this and this. I always dropped on the page, even though I didn't play guitar. I was always drawn to the guitars in the Sears and Roebuck catalog that always had, you know, remember that I was a kid of the 80s. Yeah. They were all Charvels and Kramers and yep. Ibanez and Jacksons. Jackson, yep. They all had pointy necks. And uh, I said, I wasn't really into the fluorescent colors. I'm, I'm more of a fall guy as far as colors go. Oh, okay. So, uh, so yeah, I was saved. So I was sure. saved there. So I walked into Guitar Center, and that's really that's really what they had. All the guitars in Guitar Center were like that. Oh, sure. And it wasn't a cheap guitar. You know, it was eight or nine hundred dollars. You know, when I bought yeah. it. So it was for me. It was. It, it actually, I remember being a little traumatized. I couldn't believe I was spending that much money because I I'd never spent. Over, what was I saying? I think I spent, well, 150 bucks plus the trade-in on my acoustic. That's the most I'd ever yeah. spent on anything. And here I am paying uh, eight or $900 for this Kramer. Yeah, and actually, I think it's worth it to mention that eight or $900 back in the mid-80s, we're probably talking about somebody saying, I'm going to drop $1,800 yeah. on a guitar nowadays. Yeah. So for people who are like eight or nine hundred dollars, man, that's like a that's a Mexican Telecaster. Yeah. Eh. And I was I was hold a, on. I was a college yeah. student. And so my mom and dad bought most of it for me because I was going on the road and I didn't have any money. Oh, I needed a decent awesome. guitar. And so, yeah. So there I was. I had my Kramer, my uh, Fender Twin and my Rat Distortion Pedal. And I was ready to go on the road. And for the first two years of my touring life, that was pretty much it. That's what I used. And then what happened to that Kramer guitar? Because I feel like there's some things that occurred to it because you're a nostalgic person. (laughs) You might have done some things to your $900 guitar that you have felt was was deemed appropriate at the time. And so go ahead. Tell us what happened to that $900 guitar. Um, Still have it. 
And I'm, gl- I'm glad I still okay. have it. Well, yeah. Because actually I've grown in more appreciation. It's, it's actually a really, for what it is, it's actually a well-made guitar. It's held up over yeah, the years. It, it plays great. It's got that really good Floyd Rose tremolo system on it that you can dive bomb as much as you want. It'll stay in tune. You know, it's, so if you yep. ever w- want to do some dive bombing, it's the one. Um, uh-huh. But I decided to personalize it. And I spent one Christmas when I was at home and I, I grabbed all the pictures that I had and I laid them out on the living room floor and I picked the right pictures that I wanted and I glued pictures to the front and back of that guitar from my friends, <laughs> my family, like highlights mm-hmm. of life, you know, from touring. Yep. And then I did my best, which was sorely inadequate of doing a, a polyurethane over top of all the pictures. Yep. And it, it's a poly. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't do a very good job with it, but Hey, that's what I got. And it's it hangs on it the is. wall. It's, it's a, it's, it's art, Stephen. That's what it is now. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, yep. it's a little bit more than art because it is a time capsule of sorts tells you about a time in your history. But then on top of that, you also had your brother-in-law, which is not brother-in-law, cousin-law. Uh, what is Pat? Oh, well, he's yeah, he's my. Uh, what would that be? He would be um, Tanya's cousin's husband. So whatever that is, okay, second cousin. So what you have is you have your wife's cousin's husband who has decided to help you out with making sure that the right pickup. And also the right type of pot and everything. And that's turned into a little bit of a tone machine for you. So you're able to play your time capsule, which, by the way, I feel like that's also a public service announcement. That's a great way to use a guitar that you go, I don't know that it's worth much. Yeah. But it's worth a lot to me. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's worth more in parts than it, than, than it is as a whole at this point. But. But yeah, and it, 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 it was really fun. Pat, the uh, like I said, who works for Dean's Guitars, um, cousin-in-law, I guess. We had a good Christmas one year, and we put the Seth Lover pickup in it. Ah, oh, such a good pickup. Yeah, because I I had uh, taken the original Seymour Duncan's out of it. Wish I still had them. And I decided that yep. you know because again in the end of the eighties, like well everybody's using active pickups. I need to have active pickups in here. No, yeah. So I put EMG 81s in it, and I decided I was tired of changing the battery and pulled those suckers out. Yep. Put the Seth Lumber in there. the devil. Yep. Yeah. So that was my first round. Okay, so I do have one more part to my full-time touring, and that is when I started touring with Second Adam, I decided I needed something that was more rock and roll. Because... Keep in mind, we're now into 2004, 2005. PRS, it's still a great thing. It's super cool. But I started to play with more of a rock and roll style band. And what's much more rock and roll than a Gibson Les Paul? Mm, Yes. So I went on the hunt and I happened to find a Gibson Les Paul classic. And at that point, I was like, yes, this is it. And I had a Vox Velvetronics amp, which I'll talk about in a bit. But the idea of the Vox Velvetronics amp was really that I wanted bigger sounding. The thing with a Fender Princeton Chorus amp, which is a solid state amp, most people are thinking, oh, a Fender Princeton, those things are great. But no, this is the solid state Princeton Chorus amp. 
was that it was really clean and pristine and great and took pedals well. But I was looking for something that was like bigger sounding, something that was more martial-y, but I didn't realize I wanted Marshall. And <laughs> I got this thing and I started playing my Les Paul and I was like, oh yeah, this thing sounds great. I really dig it. It's amazing. Which then brought me to where you and I are because in the quest for tone, I'm really going full-time professional. You're starting to kind of transition into the part-time professional Mm -hmm. and you've got side jobs, you've got this, you've got other avenues. The rest of the people in the band, they're starting to like pursue other avenues because they're getting to a, an age or a maturity or whatever to decide to go the road that they want to go. And we start going on a quest and this is when we start looking at marshals. Yeah. You got a Marshall JMP 2203 yes. with a 412 cab with greenbacks. And I remember playing it in your house in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. And yeah. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. This sounds amazing. And then we, we clicked on a pedal of some sort. And I went, oh my gosh, it takes pedals amazing. And we just kind of kept going through all these different things. And I went, I need a Marshall, <laughs> but we were getting ready to do our full length album. And I was like, Oh my gosh, what? Like, uh, and you actually let me borrow the JMP. Yep. And that album has the 2203 all over it. And that is the point in which I realized I need a Marshall. I need it. Mm-hmm. And I sold off my Vox Valvatronics and I bought the Marshall JMP 2204 back in, like, I don't know, 2005, 2006. Mm-hmm. And that amp is still today one of my favorite amps that I ever play. And it is because of this time that we had together. And I toured with a half stack. And yeah, it was cumbersome. Yeah, it was loud. But at the same time, it was glorious. Yeah. Just absolutely glorious. Yeah. It's a good time. Actually, this brings up another point. I remember I was borrowing your 2203 and we were playing and I went, I need to do this like regular rhythm part and then I need to do the lead. And I flipped it on the neck and I played the rhythm part. And then when I dropped it to the treble pickup, all of a sudden I did the lead and I remember looking at Josh, my bass player, and I remember the eye contact and he was like, you can do that? (laughs) Like it was clean. It was beautiful. Neck rolled down just a touch. And then when I flipped down to the treble pickup, all of a sudden the lead was just there. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have to have a Marshall. I've stumbled across something. I need to let people know this. Yeah. (laughs) You can do this. I did this. I discovered this. I did this. Nobody else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And it was amazing. And so that, so when we go to the full-time touring, that and then going, okay, maybe I need to add some pedals. That's when I discovered the build your own clone pedals. And that's where the Burninator really came up. Mm-hmm. Mm. And the reason why I own build your own clone pedals is actually because of that desire to get tone that I heard or read about on like the gear page or Harmony Central or 
whatever, where they said, oh, you need an 85 rat. You need a 70s tube screamer. And I started looking and looking and looking and I went, you know what? I can make a clone for less than $100 or I could buy the real deal and it'll cost me like 300 Meh, I'll make it. Yeah, And that's my full-time touring rig. The reason why I own what I own was out of budget and out of realizing that's exactly what I need in the moment. Hmm. Unfortunately, uh, when you asked about doing this session and I kind of made an outline of my musical gear yeah. journey, it, it um, hit home how a lot of my choices were really made out of budget necessity. Yeah. A lot of it was because um, going from uh, with the Captain Free Bands to the early days of Echelon, you know, we weren't making anything at all, right. you know, in those early days. And, you know, unfortunately, it was there's so many great options right now for guitar players on, on, on anything from pedals to amps to guitars. But back in the this would have been uh, mid mid 90s, mid 1990s, not 1890s, <laughs> we had. <laughs> just to make it clear for you yep mm-hmm. yep we didn't have that many options and i i was i was trying to find an amp that had a good overdrive and a clean channel but i was always struggling because we weren't traveling with a sound guy i was always having problems with being loud enough in in the mix for solos and all that kind of thing i, I finally tried to use I was like, well, let me just find a good distortion pedal. I'll just run a clean amp with a good distortion pedal. And there weren't really that many options out there. There, You know, it's funny to say that because, you know, I had the rat, but I had loaned it out to a person at this mm-hmm. point. So I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't using it. It was, it was on the road with somebody else at that point. It's funny. I didn't even really think much about the rat. I was like, well, that was what I used oh, to sure. use. I'm, now I'm going to use something mm-hmm. new, you know, and in, silly because probably the best tone I had was back when I was first starting out, you know, just a good clean amp, a good bass tone with that rat was, was great. Isn't it interesting how uh, sometimes that happens where you think back on your old tone that you went, Oh man, man, that stuff was just, that was so last tone. And now you go, yeah, that was a really good tone actually. Yeah. Cause you know, here we are, we're in the middle of the nineties yet, but I was still, remember I was a kid of the eighties. Oh yeah. So I was still, well, that's, that's not what the professionals use. So I'm like, I'm trying to buy some solid state gear, you know, like the professionals use. I had the GSP 21 legend, you know, I had um, a Yamaha little effects processor. Cause I was like, that's going to give me great tone. And then of course I'm like turning all the stuff on and you know, the more you turn on, if you don't know how to use it, it really doesn't no. sound that great. Just gets really process yeah. sounding, and and it wasn't that good of stuff. But yeah, you know, I uh, I went through various amps. Do you remember that I had a Mesa Boogie Mark IV combo amp for a little while? Did you even know no. that? Not at all. I didn't know. Yeah, Mm-mm. I did. And it had a one twelve. It was just a little one twelve combo. You know, those things are really pretty th- highly thought after amplifiers. Yeah. But it has so many bells and whistles on it and so many switches. I just didn't know how to make it sound good. And I think they probably, now I'd go back and I would use it differently. I wouldn't have tried to use it as that 112 combo. I'd plug it in to a 412 cab and I bet it would, or an extension cab. I bet it would sound great. I don't think the speaker that was with it that I did it justice. 
Um, that's what oh, I think, sure. but I don't know. Or I could just go back. I, if I could go back in time, I would go, okay, I just didn't know how to dial it in. Yeah, or you weren't able to turn it up loud enough. And that was a lot of my problem. Every amp I plugged into, I wasn't, you know, because I went through a little plastic. I toured a while for the class, the PV Classic oh, 50, yeah. which also is a really mm-hmm. good amp, but it really needs to be turned yeah, up quite a bit to really not sound kind of flat. If you can turn it up, they're really great. So finally, I went through a bunch of different things like that. And then I hit upon the Fender Vibralux. Oh, and these yeah. were all during the Echelon years. The thing is, just like you said earlier, I was always trying to make everything sound like a Marshall. Yeah. But I couldn't have a Marshall because I'm like, I can't tour with the Marshall. I'll never be able to turn it up. I'll never be able to mm-hmm. use it. So I'm trying to make all these combo amps sound like a Marshall. Yep. And the the Fender Vibralux didn't sound like a Marshall, but it was a great amplifier. And at the same time I got the Fender Vibralux, another thing happened. And that was I was introduced to Keeley Modification. Yes. And I went to a website and I saw him because I had a Tube Screamer pedal. But I didn't use it that much because I was like, it just is a big mid hump Mm -hmm. to it. It's kind of flat on the high end. It's just kind of... it. I didn't really like it. I went to a Keeley website and he modified pedals and I went to the tube screamer and he specifically was like, he was speaking to my soul. He said everything about the problems with the new tube screamers that the old ones that made them classics used to have. And he talked about this extended high, this extended low, a full range of sounds and his modifications will put this new tube screamer It'll make it sound like what the old ones did. So I sent him my Tube Screamer. He sent it back, and I went, this is it. Yeah. You know, I was like, finally. And so that into the Fender Vibralux started my whole journey there. Now, it was still, I was using the PV Wolfgang guitar that I had at that point, and I still had the Fender Strat. Um, And that's pretty much what I used during most of my touring full-time with Echelon. And it wasn't until after that when uh, when I started touring with Peter Ide, that I went, you know, some of the places we're playing, I can play louder because he was a loud band, and I was like, I'm I'm going to grab a Marshall, yeah, because you know I'm I'm go I'm going to these music festivals with Peter, and I'm watching Audio Adrenaline play, and one of our really fave guys, Tyler Burkham, oh yeah, and he's and he's playing these Marshall half stacks, and I'm like, that's the tone I want, and so I just finally I went, I'm I'm done, I'm 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 going to go out and buy it. And so for quite a few years there, I was able to use the 2204 Mm -hmm. and the 412 and tour with that. And I'm so glad I was able to. Yeah. And it's still, you know, it's still sitting right next to me right now. You know, I still use it when I can. We used it last year at an event together in Chicago. Yes. Oh, and it was so good with that Savage Cab, which, by the way, you had the Smelt Cab then, which was the the 412 that had the greenbacks in it. We call it the Smelt Cab because yeah. on the back of it, whatever band, I'm guessing Smelt was the name of the band, they went ahead and spray painted the back <laughs> of it. Smelt. Yeah. And right. it, was, it was super funny. Yeah. And But at the same time, that cab sounded really good. And that's part of the yeah. reason why I bought the cab that I bought. Because if you remember, while I was on yeah. tour, I had my 2204, but I was looking for the right cab. And I borrowed your... 412 orange cab and that guitar cab sounded amazing it was big it was full it was modern it was also like 90 pounds 
Keep in mind, at that point, yeah. I probably weighed 150 pounds. So that's not really something yeah. I was able to really carry very well. It had no wheels, no nothing. And yeah. I ended yeah. up finding a 412 cab I bought from Encore from Chad. It ended up being great, and it was it was great. So now that's what I use. But the reason why I bring that up is because, yeah, there was a number of things that we were influenced by. And that's part of the reason why I go, well, mm-hmm. why do we own what we own? Well, part of it is the influence. Mm-hmm. So for me, Tyler Burkham from Audio Adrenaline, he preferred the 2204 because he liked the compression. He preferred yeah. the 412 cab by Marshall because it matched. What speakers he had, I have no idea. But that Audio Adrenaline Worldwide album. For, okay, here's your another public service announcement. I'm on to my third one. I have to stop now. But on the third one, <laughs> if you have not heard the Audio Adrenaline Worldwide album, the tone is on fire. Yeah, It's that sound. The yeah. Marshall 2204 and the Marshall 412 cab. And it just is glorious. And that's that's honestly a sound that both of us chased for a while. Yeah, that's right. You know, it was uh, also right at that end of my full-time touring with Echelon and the uh, time with Peter that that was when I finally bought the Les Paul, too. Oh, that's right. Because I grew up watching guys with Les Paul. And, and I... Um, I picked one up in a store. Again, it's kind of like my musical journey has been a lot of just necessity and what I just found at the time. I wish there was more of a master plan behind it. You have more of a master plan than I do. I'm a bit uh, of a planner. Yep, that happens. Yeah, and, and most of my most of my stuff was just kind of like, oh, I found this and I think I need yep. this. And the Les Paul was that way too. Cause you know, I had, I had picked up a few Les Pauls in the past and they always, I have tiny hands. We've established that. And, um, the, the Les Pauls that I'd picked up always just felt kind of big and chunky. And you need to remember also my first guitar was that Ibanez mm-hmm. that was a Les Paul style guitar and it weighed a ton and I weighed 140 pounds at the time. And so <laughs> I had done that already. You know, I was a kid of the 80s. I needed to have a Kramer, not a Les Paul. So I picked that Les Paul up at the store and I went, oh my gosh, this thing feels fantastic. What the heck is going on here? And that's when I learned about the slimmer 60s neck that uh, Les Paul came out with. And this guitar had it. And I went, I can play this guitar. I love the way it sounds. It was the first guitar that truly felt right in my hands. All the years that I, all the guitars that I'd played, I'd always kind of fought them a little mm-hmm. bit. This one just felt right. So I'm like, how can I not buy this guitar? I came home and I told Tanya, because uh, it was 1200 bucks. Oh, yeah. I told Tanya, my, my lovely bride, I'm like, Tanya, I found a guitar that I... I, I have to buy it. It's it's the first guitar that feels right in my hands. And she was very supportive of that. Oh, nice. And Yeah, and I was still playing a lot of music yep. at the time. Because, you know, I played a lot with Peter. Oh, that yeah. We, we played, I mean, for a while there, we were playing like every weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a lot. And it did a few uh, f- really fun tours, a lot of events. And so, yeah, so here I was for quite a few years there, probably four or five years, I got to live the dream with the... The Marshall half stack 
and a and a Les Paul and just a beautiful, glorious rock tone that uh, was quite satisfying. But it did. It finally, though, now since then, I'm so much more discerning now because now I know what I want. Oh, you know? okay. I was always kind of, I was trying to make all these other amps sound like mm-hmm. a Marshall. Once I got it, now I can listen to all these other amps and go, I can appreciate them for what they are. Oh, okay. Help me dial them in maybe and say, yeah, I can dial them in. I, I know what they uh I know what they should sound like for what I want out Man, of them. I never really you thought know. about it that but, way. But kind of like I said before, where I was like, what I appreciated about the Vox Velvetronics was it was just big. It was good sounding. I mean, I really liked it. I was trying to make it sound like a Marshall. And sure enough, yeah. I get the Marshall. I get rid of the Valvatronics. And now that you say that, I actually completely agree with you that... Now I own my Vox. I appreciate the Vox. I now own my Fender Pro Junior amp, and I appreciate the Pro Junior amp, but not because I'm trying to make it sound like something else. It's because I have what I tried to make everything sound like, which was my Marshall. Exactly right. And now I can appreciate what they do. Yeah, this is it. This is what I want. And I also want this. And I also want this, but it wasn't until I achieved that goal of this is my sound that I could go and I appreciate my sound with this and I appreciate my sound with this and so on and so forth. Yeah. And it was, it was so fun that this, just this last weekend played in Baltimore and John Doherty has such great backline gear. Yeah, he does. So I was able to fly in. And he hooked me up with a Marshall JCM 900, mm-hmm. a pedal board with various overdrives and delays, and even a chorus pedal that I used. I never used yeah. chorus, but I, I dialed it up. Just, I was like, I actually used that chorus pedal, and I enjoyed nice. it. Nice. Um, and he's got he's got a Les Paul Studio that somebody painted white yep. that I helped give a little bit more patina nice. to it. I wore off a little bit of the paint with my arm. That's what you're good at. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And uh, and he had uh, that Fender Tully, uh, a Mexican Tully. Yep. That sounded great. And they sounded great. I loved it. You know? Mm-hmm. I did do one thing, though. I did bring my uh, Barber uh, direct drive pedal. Oh, okay. And put that down. And I did. That was the core of my rock tone, though. And then I boosted it with the SD1 that he had. Yep. The Boss SD1. I boost. I just kick the front end of the barber a little bit more on that. Um, and then he had a uh, Boss Blues Driver pedal that I set as a low gain yep. thing that was great. It, it was perfect. Great. I was fine. Yep. You know, and that's the thing with Boss pedals. Man, they are such a good use of fit form and quality tone. Yeah. I mean, they're really yeah, great. They're great. Okay, so here's the deal is we have more to plan to this. Like we have more things to talk about, but the problem is, is we're getting to the end of the amount of time we have for therapy. So I'm going to call it. It's a part two. We need to do a part two on why we own what we own. I'm going to put a bookmark in and I'm going to say, it's time for us to come up with final thoughts. And we're going to do a part two. So what are some final thoughts that you have currently on your early professional time frame of why you own what you own? My thoughts really are what I've already uh, articulated. And that's, I wish, 
I would have been a little bit more purposeful in why I got what I got. But I'm in a different place now, so that's not really possible. Like I said, I lived right next door to the middle of nowhere that had very little options of what I could get. I didn't have a lot of funds to buy things. So I played whatever I could and just tried to make it work. And unfortunately, that's kind of the way I felt a lot of my early musical time. I mean, we're talking years of playing professionally where I felt like I just, I was always kind of chasing a tone while I was playing that I wasn't fully happy with what I had. And I just kept chasing and kept chasing. I'm glad that I did hit a point, probably I would say two thirds of the way through my playing a lot years that I finally hit a spot where I I stopped chasing. And that was really nice to get to that spot. Yeah. When I look at final thoughts and I look at where I was in my pre-professional into my professional time frame, why I owned what I owned, part of it was based on necessity. What I need at the time. And part of it was based off of budget. What could I actually afford at the time? In looking back, I realized that the entire time I was chasing something. I was trying to get to something. And I learned from you a statement, and I actually mentioned it with Nick when I was talking about bourbon and talking about all the things. And I learned a statement from you and Echelon, which was, you borrow from the best and you make up the rest. (laughs) Yeah. And in that statement, I didn't realize that that's pretty much how most people run their life. They're imitating something until they figure it out. And what we had done, or what I had done, at least I know, is that I spent a lot of time going, okay, you say it's a Fender amp. Okay, you say it's a PRS guitar. Okay, you say it's a Gibson Les Paul. Okay, you say it's a Marshall. I can't afford a Marshall. Uh, A Valvatronics. Okay, you say it's this, and I borrowed a lot from the best. And what I did was I made up the rest. And when I made that up, I found me and I found my tone. Yeah. And my final thoughts is that although the nostalgia is there, I am excited about where I am now. I also will say that the road to get to where I am now was needed in order to fully understand where I am. I don't have to be ashamed of owning modeling gear. I don't have to be ashamed of owning a Mexican Strat. I don't have to be ashamed of whatever because it led me to where I am. You don't have to be ashamed of your Kramer or your Ampeg or your Lotus Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it led you to where you are now, a spot Mm -hmm. where you're really happy. And that's the road that we travel. So in this part one, I think that we have gained a lot of understanding. And if people are really interested in this and they're like, wow, that was a really good one. I feel like I got a lot of good guitar emotional therapy out of this. Let's do a part two. Let's talk about ending our professional career and going into where we are now, which is guys with man caves who still go out and play, who still go out and do stuff, even though... You know, the kids may go, oh, what are those old people doing up there? We're still doing our thing, (laughs) doing our craft. Why do we own what we own? Let's do a second part. Yeah. Sounds good. 
All right. Until next time. Peace. Peace. Well, that's all the time we have for the Twee Couch Guitar Therapy Session. If you like what you heard, make sure you leave five stars in a review. Also, be sure to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And remember, you are your greatest asset. Until next time.